0: Hi, and welcome to the C-Suite Perspective podcast, where we talk about systems and processes. My name is Chris Gilseth, and I'm the COO of Amazatic Solutions, an agency that develops apps and custom software solutions. The mission of this podcast is to bring together experienced leaders so that we can share ideas and together elevate the industry. If you want to be a guest on our show or know somebody that's a good fit, go to go.amazatic.com forward slash apply that is g-o dot a-m-a-z-a-t-i-c dot com forward slash apply all right welcome everybody to uh, c-suite perspective this is our third episode and with me today i have maver sandhu from zenify and we're excited to have you on here and to uh both learn about Zenify, but also, of course, learn about you and and from you. And um, hopefully we can have a a good and engaging conversation and that it's something where all of us, including listeners, can uh, walk away with some, some takeaways there today. So thank you, first of all, for taking the time to join. You're welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit. So... I, I um, looked into kind of some of the things you've done and you've been with, I think you started out or at least years back you were with HP mm-hmm. and then you were with, um, <coughs> excuse me, with uh scale station
1: and then you co-founded Zenify. Correct. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I've been in, sort of enterprise IT for, you know, over 20 years and especially the, the CRM domain. And so a large part of my career at Hewlett Packard uh, was spent kind of in that space. You know, obviously Hewlett Packard has a ton of customers and a ton of data. And so we went from a journey of um, uh, sort of an Oracle Siebel to a Salesforce. And I was kind of part of that transformation really gave me exposure and experience with the Salesforce platform, which is, you know, definitely best in class. And, you know, it was exciting enough and innovative enough that sort of influenced a few of us to, uh, you know, take the leap. And, you know, Hewlett Packard, struggling company, they're doing better now, but for many years, they were sort of struggling. And, you know, I'm I'm more of an innovation person. And when you're at a really large company like that, that, that is kind of slowing down, Um, you you run into walls. And at some point, I probably ran into too many walls and probably broke a few down and got into some trouble (laughs) from time to time, (laughs) um, which happens. And so we, you know, we're we're sort of in a position to uh do our own thing, and that's kind of what we did, you know, myself, Nathan Mueller, who's my co-founder, and Jesse Barker, who's also a co-founder. and scale station was kind of the first version of it, the first iteration, it eventually evolved into ZenFi, So they're more or less the same entities, just, you know, as you go through the startup experience, there's different turns and, you know, obstacles you face and overcome, and that's part of the fun and also the challenge.
0: Yeah, it yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about what are those obstacles and, and what you did to overcome it.
1: Yeah, so I think that in the early years, I think the hardest challenge is obviously You know, finding your, not necessarily your true north, because we always felt like we had a north, which was all around, you know, how do we utilize technology, cutting edge technology to impact businesses, to impact lives. And so we had that, but making that happen with a strategy that made sense for you guys or for us at the time, being a small company is where you can... You know, again, it's the fun part, but also the funding challenge of it, right? So when you're bootstrapped, which we were, you know, leveraging our savings, four hundred one k, kids' money, you name it, we 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 used it. Um, and you know that that part is challenging because you're in this constant money battle, right? Like having enough cash flow. Like we missed our own payroll for years, you know, which which again is part of the journey. But then, once you have employees, you know people that depend on you for income and benefits, you know, then it becomes a lot more challenging, right, to go through those those feast and famine periods. But we found enough, you know, uh, breaks along the way where you just have these kind of transformative moments where you you win some business or you do some innovative things that help you find your footing. And you know the strategy really comes together, and then the business can take off to the next level as you move to scale. Yeah, and
0: I definitely recognize some of those situations. Um, I think I'm not alone in having been there where payroll is next day, and there's zero dollars in the account. We're like, how am I going to do this? And yeah, we we made it work. In the, the in our case, uh, the one of our clients finally paid their invoice just in time for us to. Not transferred by bank, but had mm-hmm. to actually drive down and hand deliver checks so that our employees would get it on time. Because we were we were stickler on not wanting to stand up for our employees and making sure that they got paid on time every time. So yeah, to definitely recognize
1: uh, it's a big deal. Similar situations. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal, but we never missed an employee's payroll uh, or pay, which you know which is great. You know, that's that's why you're in this thing is to create yeah. jobs and opportunity. So um, I do wish that it was a little easier on startups. You know, oftentimes, you know, you could win a, a larger account. Um, like we won, for example, state of California business early on. But it's interesting. They don't really treat a small company like us any different than they would treat a large company like Accenture or Deloitte. They put you through the same rigor um, mm-hmm. and the same sort of challenges. So you would think that like, as a small company, there'd be a little more empathy, right? To those situations, but there really isn't. <laughs> it's, right. You know.
0: and, and that often comes down into long terms for paying invoices and usually paying them a month or two after that other term That's expired true. and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with that, there's there's definitely people my listeners that are have have you know built and scaled their companies, but there's mm-hmm. also people that are in the startup phase. So what are what are some suggest, suggestions that you would give for people that are kind of in that situation where maybe they've been fortunate uh, fortunate on one side to kind of land a bigger client, mm-hmm. and now they have to deal with what what that means uh, on a practical level, both on the fulfillment side as well as you know delays in payment and all those kind of things.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the, the a number one piece of advice is to really have a good grasp on your financials, you know, your, your current state and your projections. And so, I, and I don't necessarily, I think people overcomplicate things here and maybe they feel like they need to bring on a high-powered finance executive, you know, early on. Um, I think usually things are basic enough in those beginning phases that you don't really need that, right? You can... You know, Excel will get you there. Right. But, but you do have to take the time, you know, set up your, your QuickBooks, you know, or whatever it is, you know, some of those like key things like your payroll system. Uh, Again, you don't have to go out and buy the most craziest systems up front, but like the light version. So at least the data is there, right? And you can access it and extract it into an Excel document and, you know, do the basic sort of like, here's how we're doing. Here's how we model things. You know, here's how we're projecting to do. Are we on target? You know, where are we seeing gaps and deficiencies? I think that's really, really important early on because it kind of gives you that line of sight to, you know, where you're going, but also where you're seeing, Um, you know, things aren't working out the way you planned. And then you could take action around that, right? That's super important. And to do that for long enough where you can survive, win some business, win some business. So that by the time you get to that investor conversation, right, you've got a decent amount of, you know, business under your belt. Because I think that's what investors like to see is that you've gone through not only you've gone through the tough period and you've persevered, right? So a lot of those, those kinks are ironed out by the time the investor gets to it. So they really focus on the more strategic thing, but also that you've got a good read on your business, right? That's going to make the investor feel more comfortable that you know what you're doing, right? And that like you're in tune with the financials and the budget, you know, you watch enough Shark Tank and you see the wrong way to do it where people come in, they don't know their their numbers. It blows me away, you know, like while you're on national TV and you don't, know these like really basic things but it happens and
0: Especially you, know, you should have watched a few episodes to learn what to prepare for
1: <laughs> yeah it's like like did you not watch the show <laughs> i don't understand but, um you know it, i
0: i recognize right? like and and you're so right though i mean the the financial aspects understanding the, those numbers as well as understanding metrics for for sales and marketing and so forth but some of the things that this re- conversation reminds me about is and um, I, I remember, for example, using, you know, uh, a, a system um, similar to QuickBooks um, mm-hmm. and also even uh, with them, but like not to throw any a particular system under the bus or anything. It's just things that I would, I was not aware of when starting out. For example, I was thinking, okay, the customer has paid, the transaction is locked. Now it should be in my bank account the next day so I can pay these other things that I need to pay off and not mm-hmm. realizing that my account was new with the system the banking relationship was new there and so therefore there's extra hoops to jump through that take from a, a week or at least 4 days but usually up to a week maybe even 10 days before business days that is so two weeks in practicality before they all go through and now I finally received my money and and knowing things like that is like nobody mm-hmm. teaches you that until you learn
1: the hard way you know mm-hmm. I totally agree. Or even people still mailing checks. We, it still happens to us today. It kind of blows us away. Like, wow, you want, you want to mail us the check? You know, we try to get that electronic process set up up front, you know, but early yeah. on you don't think about that you're just happy to get the money, but like it really pays to set the EDI up because then you, you get the money sooner. I, like, I have it, it had people like mail me a check,
0: even if I did set it up for them to pay electronically and, And it took a week extra and I'm like, um, I still haven't received it. And they're like, well, yeah, maybe we should just go pay online. And I said, that would be great. Thank you.
1: (laughs) It's, It's a terrible feeling. It just, it feels so archaic checking your mail, you know, to see if a check came right. It's like, wow, am I really waiting on a check to come in the mail? And that's the way it literally is. And when you get it, oh man, is it like relief? You know, like, oh, thank God, you know, we got the money. So right. And it's all part well, the of the
0: other training, thing, right? the other thing right now with the with the current environment is that you may have a business address one place, but you may be mostly working from home or something. And so yeah. Yeah. you know, where are they sending the check? And and how easily can you get to that place to actually retrieve it too, and, and that it doesn't get lost and and shuffle, right. essentially. So yeah.
1: It's all part so of the fund.
0: <laughs> um, part of the fun yes so but that was kind of now we talked a little bit about some of the kind of quirks and things to, to overcome when you're like just starting out and and those are obviously important to be aware of and consider and, and you know factor in into the, the equation of everything that goes on in, in building a startup mm-hmm. um, but you guys are are beyond that point now you um, I think you said you had about 200 employees and uh, they're mm-hmm. spread all over. Uh, so kind of taking it from this, the level we just talked about to that next level, what did you guys mm-hmm. do? What happened? Like, and, and before maybe going there, why don't you also introduce a little bit sure. what Zenify does? Because you're you're in IT consulting, I think you're focusing mostly on, because on, you mentioned Salesforce, so, so a lot of kind of Salesforce consulting and development, correct?
1: Yep. Absolutely, cloud. I mean, I'd say that at the highest level, it's cloud and digital transformation, really helping organizations, you know, kind of move their businesses to the next level where they've realized, they've made the realization that the current state infrastructure that they have is not gonna get them to the next level. And especially during this pandemic with everything moving more to virtual, it really exposed this challenge. And so a lot of our clients are, for example, their banks, um, so we do a lot in the fintech space uh it's a great industry it's a great space but like many industries you've got you know organizations that have you know on premises infrastructure you know legacy applications that have kind of just gotten them by for years and maybe it's even gotten right. more intertwined tangled right where you band-aid you band-aid you band-aid and it gets you by it gets you by and it's like at some point you got to rip the band-aid off and you know, approach this really massive, what's perceived to be this mass massive stressful thing. And part of the brand name of Zenify, you know, you you look up, you talk about the Zen is Mm -hmm. bringing some of that, that calm to the chaos, so to speak, so that like we genuinely believe it doesn't have to be that stressful. We genuinely believe that it's very achievable, you know, to make progress on that transformation. And it's all how you sort of, Um, you know, unpack things and unwind things, you know, look at where you want to go as a, as a business, as an organization and build the roadmap uh, to get there. And you don't have to do it all in one shot. You know, there's amazing methodologies, agile methodologies now where you can sort of do things in these smaller, you know, uh, chunks to win trust, to, to build confidence. Right. And because we're not a large organization, you know, we can, take that flexible journey with a client where, you know, we don't have all this overhead and we don't need a contract to be a million dollars, you know, in order to get started, right? You know, it's all about, you know, early momentum and building that trust early, you know, being a trusted advisor getting the client comfortable with the technology, right? Because it is, can be perceived as complex. The reality is, is a technology, it's better than it's ever been. It's amazing, right? It's an amazing time to be In this industry but even then when people look at the task it's overwhelming because there is so much data and so many systems and there's change management and so all of that has to be rationalized in a project right so when you think about you know where where we were and where we're at you know basically when you're smaller you're dealing with smaller organizations where that challenge is maybe not as complex You know, because maybe they have less systems in place and less data. As you get larger and the organizations get bigger and more complex, that's when it starts to get more intense. There's a statistic out there around um, failure rate on digital transformation. It's actually in the high 80s, low 90s of the rate of which these initiatives fail. It's actually kind of scary. If I was a CIO, I'd be like, if I was told that statistic, I'd be like, you wouldn't do it. Wait a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wouldn't do
0: so, it, right? So, is that statistic? Um, but, um, you know, statistics tell you one thing when when it's kind of a number, but let's break it down a little bit on that one. Is it sure. like overall project failure, or is it just hey, it, the the technology may have been successfully implemented, but the conversion of people actually using it is not successfully yeah. implemented? Worse the more than
1: Yeah, it's it's more the latter that the the vision the client had, right? To you know that sort of not necessarily end state, but like the objectives they were trying to achieve, you know the return that isn't necessarily realized to the extent that the client wanted it, given the investment, given the time spent, right? And so that over time can lead to blaming the technology, right? Well, it's Microsoft's fault or. You know, it's Salesforce's fault and usually it's not the fault of the technology, right? Usually the technology is just fine. Um, It's more around, you know, how that engagement was managed, you know, both the, the client as well as whatever resources they were utilizing to make it happen, right? Maybe the strategy behind it wasn't the right way as far as the the cadence of which user group to go first, which one to go second or which systems to integrate, you know? And so, so that's the fun part is really like mapping all that out and figuring out the right progression. And then also being agile and making shifts along the way, when you use these traditional waterfall approaches, it's much harder because in that one year, you know, a lot changes. And so like, if you kind of get all these requirements and then go back and you start building away, building away. And then like, nine months later you go hey here it is you know it's just inherently not a good model right because so much changes and things are iterative right. sometimes a, a client doesn't know what they don't know it's like they have to see something first and go Very oh right and so um technologies the new cloud technologies the way they're developed you know you know platform as a service and more of the declarative nature of them make it a lot easier to, to kind of do these proof of concepts and this iterative management. Well, you and I are kind of in the same space. And so we,
0: you know, most of our projects we build custom technology heritamazatic. Um, meaning it's a platform that that somebody either uses internally to because they haven't found a, you know, an off-the-shelf type of solution that, that works exactly the way they wanted to or needed to. And and they've tried multiple Mm. different ones and just it doesn't fit the shoe quite quite right and Mm -hmm. then um, um, but we've also done uh, you know a fair number of salesforce projects and service now projects and and other types of projects where where it's customization of existing software as well and uh, Mm -hmm. and we definitely see that so you know like you a lot of what we do is also working on not just building it, but how do we make sure that people will actually use it? And, and there's a process around that. And the, um, there's there's some research that I read where it indicates that a lot of the reason is not because the technology isn't good enough. Um, training may be one aspect uh, lacking or too much or, or whatever that might be, but another aspect is because you have gotten by with some sort of workaround, whether that Mm -hmm. was an Excel sheet or pen and paper, or, you know, whatever that was, uh, it formed a habit. And so you have to kind of go in and break that habit. And so adding a new technology in and of itself doesn't break the habit. So you have to go in and kind of more actively pursue it, um, and working with, with the companies that way. So, um, now, you know, now that given kind of that background, I, I want to go back to the question I had and uh, on, like, what did you guys do to, to go from that, you know, startup to scaling and taking it to the next level? And along with that question, because I, I think there's some probably overlapping elements is, as you've mentioned the challenges of um, doing the digital transformation, what are some of the recommendations that you have? That uh, companies do that are in that process, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot have gone through over over the last year and a half now to, because of COVID, they were forced to. Um, mm-hmm. But there's still there's still a lot of companies that you know they took the the immediate most required steps, but there's a lot more they yeah. can do, and they they you know they maybe looked at it or maybe don't know where to look or what what to look at, or, or more importantly, how to implement, like you said. So you actually have a, a better success rate. So. I guess that was a mouthful, yeah. but <laughs> I'll, I'll turn it over to
1: you to answer that, that. Yeah, no, I, I get it, and and I think the the one of the hardest things for a startup, you know, especially a cash starved startup, mm-hmm. um, going from that phase to the next phase of scale, is you're so used to being resourceful and just doing the best with what you have, right? That grind mode, that it's hard to imagine a world where you actually have resources. So like some of us, you know, we worked at these bigger companies where you've got, you know, these overhead roles, you've got, you know, a change management office and a strategic program office. And you've got even, even for running the HR of the company, you've got a whole payroll department and a whole benefits and all this stuff. And when you're in the startup mode, you, you can't do that. You just can't afford it. And so everyone's like, multi-tool multi-task can do different things and that's what makes the business successful early on but at some point that's not going to scale like i'm not an expert in hr right right um, i could pretend like i know some things to get us by but i'm not an expert and at some point uh, you have to recognize that this growth is happening and you have to sort of say okay what are the key pieces of infrastructure that i need right to get the business to the next level and those might include like a operational leader, for example, like our operations leader, Tammy Miller, has been instrumental to our business as far as someone that started as a as a solutions architect in the consulting on the consulting side, kind of became a leader and eventually, you know, understood the business well enough that she could help us scale the infrastructure, right? Forecasting, planning, financials. Um, whatever the domain is, right. I'm not saying that you need to invest in every area. Like you've got all of a sudden higher 4C level people. Um, Not so much, but you do have to recognize like for your business, what are those like key bottleneck areas that like, man, if I don't invest in this, you know, then we're just going to be like constantly suffocated by this bottleneck. And so how do you, what do you do to invest? Like we just invested in a, for example, a, um, a professional services uh, management tool right now. We've been using Salesforce as that PSA tool. It really wasn't scaling. And so now we've, we've you know, sort of bought a solution and configured it. Again, those are big decisions because you're like, man, you know, at some point you think you could do it all yourself. Like we can do everything in Salesforce, can't we? We can manage our whole business out of there. And you could, but at some point it doesn't scale, right? right. There's others. There's other solutions that might be better for certain things. They may be very uh, interoperable with the Salesforce platform, might even be built on top of the Salesforce platform, right? But it does mean more cost. So obviously you have to have money to some extent to make these infrastructure um, changes. And that's where an investor or a loan kicks in, right? It's like, okay, I have line of sight now to this money right you may not even have the money in the bank but you have 99% certainty certainty that it's coming the minute you know that is when you hit the go button on those infrastructure pieces it's a really important phase so what what are what is one of the um toughest financial
0: decisions you had to make kind of like that was a big gulp you know yeah that you are you were really hesitant about, or or just kind of gave it the chills almost, but you made it and you are are so glad you made it.
1: Uh, It's a great question. So we, in this, because we're so FinTech focused, we come across needs that go deeper into the domain of, let's say a bank, you know, it gets more complex. Now there's Mm -hmm. commercial lending, for example, and the Salesforce platform, as I mentioned earlier, it, it, does a great job of helping you get to a certain point as far as like the data model infrastructure, the CRM, 360 degree view of the customer, all those things. But as you get deeper into those domains, it starts to, you know, you need to bolt on at that point, right? Right. right. And you need to make investments potentially in a solution that you don't know, and that's going to cost money, right? You need to bring in experts that know that domain, that know that solution, that, that is a, like an investment decision there. Luckily we had funding from Salesforce themselves that has been instrumental for us. But even then, like, how do you spend those dollars? Cause you're taking risks, right? What if that investment in that area doesn't pan out? And did you, are you giving it enough nurturing time? You know, are you fertilizing it? Are you letting it breathe and incubate? So, you know, Are you giving it the time it takes to materialize? And those are things that have been challenging for us because you're kind of holding your breath going, oh, man, I just spent this money. And obviously, you want the return right away, but it takes time. Everything takes time, you know. Um, And so that particular investment, you know, deep into the banking, commercial lending area with a software solution called Encino, you know has paid off like that's a great investment it's a great company it's got great leadership um it's very you know integrated with our fintech strategy right now we need to make a few more moves like that you know and right. each one of those moves is going to be you know a little scarier right you know like okay um so so that part but you of made it,
0: the first move at least so so you
1: yes you know you absolutely
0: got, got a little bit of experience through that and
1: and may make it a little easier to make the next move Correct. You, you, exactly. you kind of have that, like that proof of concept and that, you know, success story that you can build on for other areas. Because yeah, a lot of times it's, it, you know, that experience
0: comes in so, so heavily and, and, so many areas, which is why, you know, when you don't have that internally, you have to look at you know, like you said earlier, hire a consultant or, or somebody, uh, you had, you know, your one guy that became your operations guy, but he was initially a consultant because he had some of the experience that you guys were, were missing.
1: Correct. And,
0: and, uh, you know, one of those jobs is then to look at an investment. Like I see so many times companies invest in things, but they don't necessarily have a plan or, or yeah. like really figured out. Yeah, you know, we think this is going to help us. We hope or pray it's going to help us, you know, but without really knowing if it will. And while mm-hmm. there are actually ways that, that you can go about things where you uh, look at it more strategically strategically, and, and how uh, um, a process that you can go through to more or less know if I do this mm-hmm. or if I invest here, that is going to have these implications and this outcome Mm -hmm. and although it's a big goal for us right now i can see that it's going to pay off you know with x amount um, down the road and down the road could be a month it could be a year longer Mm -hmm. it depends and so the timing factor like you talked about is really important understanding the time involved uh, to make that happen and and Not just to make the investment, but have the the rest that come to fruition. Yep, absolutely. So my takeaway from what you said, and as you shared uh, what you guys did, um, was that just kind of allow for for companies that are in that process is to allow the time to um, both... I, I guess at every stage of the project to both yeah. allow time to to do your research allow time to um, make the implementation get in place and and everything that kind of follows after that and that and and to realize that there is
1: there's time needed for each of those um, steps is that cal- calculated risks you know yeah. what i mean i think is is a really important, important. way to look at it it's you know, we, we take this risk, we know there's risks there, but we have these kind of factors in play that make it a stronger likelihood that it'll succeed. And that goes back to strategy. For example, what is the go-to-market strategy? What is the core product or service that you're doing? Does this fit within that? Are you doing something totally outside that? Well, if you are, then that's more risk, right? And it could pay off, but you know, whereas when you do it in a in a more of a calculated fashion, you know, it's it's sort of I wouldn't 100 seamless, but there is leverage with something else that you're doing, so that this thing isn't just sitting out here um, without any support, right? You need to give it room to breathe, but at the same time, it's got to have support, you know, and infrastructure, right? And so those are the the types of things you have to think about. I know it's kind of conceptual the way I'm describing it, but you know, that's the way we've we've looked at it. Well, and I've seen
0: even even whether it's investment into you know third party services or, or tools or whatever. Um, I've also seen companies that have grown and have gotten a lot of investment capital, and I talked to some of their software engineers, and they're like, "Yeah, we were building all these things, and and nobody really knew why we were building them, and now they're just sitting collecting dust, and we don't have any relevance to what we do as a company." Yeah, and so that's another angle that you know why are you doing that? Is it to, to spend the money you got, or is it, you know, was there originally a strategic plan behind it? And I think a lot of times, especially companies that are are experience a hyper growth or an influx of, or or large influx of capital, I should say, um, kind of lose sight of that a little bit.
1: It's a discipline, you know, you have to, almost say, well, why would we, why would we do that? What is the, going back to the financial discussion, what's the financial benefit potentially, you know, is there incremental revenue? Is there, is there an efficiency? So maybe there's an impact to gross margin or to EBIT, you know, you got to kind of look at what the why strategically and then the why financially, you know, and, and so all these, it's a spreadsheet exercise usually Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And that's why I made the point earlier, you know, when you asked around, what are the keys to success for the startup? It, it really is those financials. And it's not that you have to be a financial guru. It's just, you have to have the discipline and the framework to go through that you know, discussion and to quantify these things, right? And sure, you can make swags, I get it. It doesn't mean you have to go hire Gartner, right? to right. go get market yeah. data, because you can't usually afford Gartner. <laughs> so, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta take some swags, you know what I mean? So there's definitely some extrapolations. And you want to be very realistic, you know, and conservative about those estimates, right? You don't want to, you know, over, you know, estimate something that, you know, because you're trying to sell somebody, or, you know, especially if you're the the founder or CEO, like you want to be as realistic as possible, right? Cause you want to be able to put a bullet in it early on. It's not going, you know, t- get rid of it, move on. Right. And I know that's a hard thing to do when you've invested in something or you care about something, right. But a company's ability to pivot fast is really, really important. You know, early on when again, cash is a challenge, so you talked about,
0: there was a keyword you mentioned there, and that was framework. And, uh, you know, in, in this podcast, it's called C-Level Perspective, um, but kind of with a subtitle of systems and processes. And and part of the reason for that is because, you know, we hear so much talk about that. There's there's books, there's articles, there's videos, you name it, uh, that you have to put things into a system, you have to put things into a process if you're going to have a chance to scale. Yeah. And so my question to you in, in, in light of that is what what are some things somebody that's starting out can do to figure out what that framework should look like for them? And then for the ones that are, you know, further along the journey and have an established company, you know, they, they may have some systems and processes in place, but they may not, you know, you know, like you say, you don't know what you don't know. So there may be additional things, for example, in the digitalization of things and so forth. And so think about it from those two kind of angles. And what are some of the some suggestions you would have as, as a CEO to, you know, other either budding CEOs or or existing C-level executives?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, one thing that we we did pretty later, later in the game and we almost Should have done it earlier, you know, and that's where that's how strong grit can be. It can carry you a long way. Right. Mm -hmm. Grit and some luck. But, you know, really taking the time early on to define, you know, who you are. Right. Your your mission, your values, you know, what the what's the vision of the firm. Right. Those are like kind of core things that are really critical, you know, to, and it may change over time they may iterate but to take the time to go through that we used um, scaling up we used that methodology to kind of get a start on all this stuff um, since then we've iterated you know we're doing different things but we um we definitely like uh Lencioni's, you know some of some of the stuff that he he um and, and again it's it's okay to leverage someone else's framework right, right. you yeah. know that it should You
0: know, I've done the work and (laughs)
1: proven it. Absolutely. Um, So we did that. We took the time to do that. And it's hard because you're doing that on top of everything else. And, um, you know, we uh, invested in that, invested the time in that. And that's been, you know, really key for us. And we need to do more. We're not even doing it enough. Like, it's almost like the pandemic happened and it threw everybody off their game. And all of a sudden, all this great work we did it didn't go to the wayside, but like we, we once again, lost sight of that. And we stopped meeting as a leadership team in person because we were on this nice cadence. Right. And so you, when things get tough, your first reaction is you, you get, you go down into the weeds, you get very operational and sometimes you need to do that. I get it. It's, it's like, you know, you've, you've got to be able to run the business and as a leader, you have to be in tune with the business. But if you get stuck in there too long, right, and you don't stick your head up, you know, to see where you're going again, and, you know, that stuff gets dusty that you came up with, you know, that's the risk. It's not a one-time thing, right? It has to be embedded into the evolution of the company. And you revisit, you know, that framework, like at least quarterly, you know, maybe at the minimum twice a year, right? And so we've, we've just recently lost discipline on this just recently like literally like we just went through this and we were like oh man we've lost sight again because the pandemic has disrupted so many different things you know what i mean um so it's really critical to do that and then as you get bigger you want to be able to share what you've done as a leadership team executive team with the broader company because you want them bought into all that right you know Especially with people companies, like 200 employees, you know, we have a lot of people, they're spread throughout the country now. It's important for them to know what it is that we've decided. It's important to get their input. It's important to socialize. It's important to over communicate what the firm strategy is, what our framework is, you know, and these are things that we're getting better at now over time, right? Um, But it, it does... It takes some work, especially if you haven't been through it before at a a company or somewhere, you know, where you've you've seen it maybe secondhand or thirdhand, but you haven't been part of the construction of it. So now you're learning that framework for the first time, that methodology, and you're applying it to your own company. So it's like, whoa, this is us. This isn't a hypothetical thing in a book, right? So, but it's worth it. it. It really is
0: no it absolutely is and and in fact so we're gonna we're kind of going through a similar process where uh, um, i learned a a new framework that really is wonderful in many aspects and and so i saw the value of it and and you know wanted to, to to dig deep into it and you know hired a mentor for that that also I can now apply in our own company and helps me in my role and our company and our clients and everything. So I totally agree with that. And, and, you know, and we've been around for eight years, so (laughs) it doesn't matter if, if you just started out, if you've been around for a little while, taking, looking at that uh, is important. Uh, And it reminds me also, like I, years back, I, I um, got into a a role with the company and it's a, it's a global company, but the, um, um, come the office that i was in was a fairly small office i think we had 21 employees in that particular office and now i came in and i saw all the things that were kind of inefficiencies and and just like awkward ways of doing things and i thought why aren't we doing it differently and and i i told myself okay i'm the new guy so i'm going to kind of just observe and, and learn and maybe i'll understand a little bit more um what I should have done was to write out, write down all my, my thoughts and impressions and ideas because I was at that point, you know, head above water essentially. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and then a few months later, maybe six, nine months later or so, I thought, hold on, what, what were those thoughts again? Because now I was, you know, drenched into in, or, or, that's where I'm searching for here. <laughs> I, I was, you know, into, into the operational side, into the, the works and the mechanics of how they were doing things. And it wasn't that it was like, but well, I mean, it worked. We're, we did actually really well. So it's not that it was misfunctioning or malfunctioning in any way, but, mm-hmm. but I knew that there were, were things that we could have done a little bit differently that would have made it even better. And, uh because i now was kind of stuck in in that situation that role and not having written down what i initially thought it was harder to find back to that place to okay let's let's see what we can do to change and become even better at what we're doing um so having a framework and i at that time i didn't have any framework to that i that i used or anything and so um i wholeheartedly believe in in adapting and there's there's several out there and Mm -hmm. uh um you know i have the ones that i prefer because they've been tested time and again in any size of company and kind of industry um but even just using some framework and and leveraging that to uh, figure out what where you're at and what you can do to kind of Get to the next stage because it's not always about hey we're doing bad we need to do better. It can be we're doing pretty good. How can we do even better? How can we mm-hmm. like really knock it out of the park? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, tell me a little bit. You you have people all over the country now. Was that a decision that was made early
1: on, or was that a result of COVID? Um, it was a result of ex- business expansion, more so than anything else. We have clients all throughout the country. And, you know, obviously being in the kind of IT cloud industry, it's it's pretty seamless for us to adopt work from home, you know, virtual collaboration. So, you know, that really wasn't an issue for us going into the pandemic. I think the bigger issue is that we did have these two offices and they're great offices, great people, great cities. And when you start that way, and then you start to expand, there is this initial phase where you're not being mindful enough of the virtual experience, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are people out there working from home that want to be engaged, but you know they can't obviously make it into the office. Um, so we were already struggling with that a little bit before the pandemic. And then the pandemic, you know, really it put everybody on the same playing field, right? Everybody was now working from home. Um, so we naturally just got really good at it and got better. And then it created this momentum where we really kind of removed this sort of preference almost, because it was this like preference, like, oh, it'd be great if they were in Sacramento. Oh, it will be great if they were in Boise. Again, great cities, but like, You're limiting yourself from a talent perspective to like these areas, you know, and it really doesn't make sense in our business to do that. Um, I mean, we could have people all over the world if we wanted to, right? So in some ways, it was liberating to expand and, you know, embrace people from different time zones all over the country. And it's a wonderful thing because now you get... That diversity and that input that's coming in. We have people in the south, people in the northeast, people in the Midwest. And that's a beautiful thing. Eventually we're gonna have people globally as well. And we're excited about that. Um, that phase, it's a you know, next chapter of, of the company. Um, you know, but it's like uh this digital engagement or just engagement in general is really, really important, right? Because you work with folks so closely. And you're going through similar things with this pandemic, right? Like we're all experiencing different levels of stress and anxiety and frustration, impatience. So you have to be tuned into that and you have to care first and foremost, actually, you know, you have to care as CEO, as a leadership team about what are these people going through? You know, what are the things that are causing stress? What's the adversity levels Um, and how do we have a structure in place and channels in place to identify those things, you know, to extract that information in a way where people feel comfortable sharing it, right? And then how do we get enough of that data information across the company to say, look, we've got these challenges that we're hearing consistently, right? And then let's go address those things. You have to invest in the fixing of those things, right? You can't just kind of go, oh, we're going to, you know, pandemic is going to end and everything's going to be great. You know, those, those are probably things that are, would have been there whether the pandemic was going or not, you know, Um so it's just, it's really important to maintain that those communication uh avenues and channels and have a culture that, you know, is appreciative and conducive to that transparency, right, that it's not perceived as, oh, that's people whining and complaining about, their jobs or their situation. Like, no, I want to know, we want to know what's going on. Right. And we want to understand it and we want to make it better. I mean, you're, you're in this industry, you know, clients can be tough. We know that, right. We know these digital transformations can be challenging. We already know that they can be stressful. The key is can be, they don't have to be right. People take jobs in the consulting world with these cutting edge technologies, because, they are very smart, innovative, talented people. They want to grow. They want to learn. They don't want to stagnate. And there's a reason they get into consulting, right? Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is, oh, it's a stressful gig. You know, it's a grind, 60 hours a week. There's no breaks. Working on the weekends for deployments. Again, those are paradigms. It doesn't have to be that way, right? You know, you're, we're in control of what it can be because chances are the client doesn't want to go through that. Hell, either right? It's not like the client good the robot. Chance, yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, so there is a way to approach these things where mutually we can approach these challenges in a way where this can be sure. It's going to be challenging, of course. It's going to be complex. You're going to learn a ton, but you can actually enjoy the ride. You can enjoy the gig, right? And I think that's. Really I think important. that's
0: really good advice
1: enjoy the ride enjoy the ride you know Uh, otherwise you put in all that time and i get it it pays well but people just aren't gonna sustain you know what i mean like it's hard to sustain at that that pace um so i think that's important i think that's what this pandemic it has exposed and forced us to slow down almost in a way to go well you know is this really a sustainable thing, what we're doing, right? Is this, you know, is this something that we can keep up at this pace? Is there inefficiencies here? Is there optimizations we can do? Um, And so in many ways, um, overall, it's a terrible thing, you know, the pandemic, but it has sort of exposed some things that, you know, people are looking at now and going, Oh man, like we do need to do this better moving forward. I mean, this great resignation thing that I read about, right. That's happening. Um, I know it's tough on businesses. I get, I, I get it, you know, but also you gotta look at it as an opportunity to go, well, what can I do better then? Right. What can we do to make it less stressful? It doesn't have to be that stressful. So, you know, I
0: completely, re- yeah, I completely agree with you because I think that's where really the opportunities come in when people, like you said earlier, they they kind of lift their heads out of, out of the out of the grind and, and look at okay, what what are some things strategically that we can do to really really improve internally as well as maybe our position, positioning in the market and so forth. And so, um, I do think, like you said, I mean, we've seen companies that either it's kind of been interesting to watch that during a pandemic companies have either completely exploded with new business or gone under there there really hasn't been that many that have gone just the middle of the road and, like even killed throughout it and i think yeah. it's attributed to what you just said you know how have, have people taken that as an opportunity to look at what they can do better I, I think there's there's a lot of things that you have shared um today that are not just you know, pearls of wisdom, but also uh, good practical things. Um, But I do like to um, ask kind of a question where, because I like listeners to be able to take a tangible giveaway or or take away from, you know, listening. And and so the question I have for you is either, when it comes to remote workers, Mm -hmm. what is a practical tip you can give on either how to manage them or mm. how to engage
1: them either mm. which one yeah so I think that the most practical tip I can give especially if you're you've historically been in an office centric organization right um is really put yourself in the shoes of a virtual person. Right. And what that means, like the pandemic forced it. But if a pandemic was not going on, work from home for three weeks, four weeks, see how it is, see what the experience is like. Are you as connected to everything that's going on? Right. Um, Do you feel like you're part of this organization at that point? Right. And I'm not just talking about the leader disconnecting, but even some other folks that are individual contributors that maybe typically going to the office, I think it's a really important experience to go through. Cause then you start to see like day in the life of, and where is it that, oh, wow, I can't believe we've been doing that. Right. Like, yeah, uh, cause you're not mindful of most of it, you know, and that's, that's the challenge. How could you be? Because you're, you're not a virtual employee. I think that's really important. And the other thing is look for opportunities and again, it's tough because this pandemic's going on. So safety is a big issue. At some point, this is going to end or at least subside in a significant way. What are opportunities to get people together, right? And invest in those opportunities, whether it's something that you guys do at a client site or part of some event or part of some team building. I think that that's really important. Um, as well and there's there's micro versions of that it doesn't mean that the entire company it could be that wow you've got some people that are concentrated in the northeast right maybe there's a way to connect those folks you know what I mean so it just it takes a little more um, work to to do take these steps but I think it's really important then the digital engagement strategy is also really really important there are great tools like slack right now um, and other tools that are making it conducive and making it easier to engage where it's not just work, 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 you know, there's things that you could do, right. To, to interact. Um, And maybe one last point on this is there's the things that we care about collectively going back to our values and why that's an important exercise, right? When you do the values exercise, what you'll find is there's a lot of things we have in common. There's a lot of things that we mutually care about, right? Right be it work we do in nonprofit or you know topics we care about within diversity and inclusion or topics we care about with respect to sustainability. So there's just like common interests, common things that bond us together. And there's a way to take those initiatives or those, those common bonds and translate those into initiatives that all of a sudden lift that topic and naturally connect people together and give an opportunity for people they almost like a platform for people to converse and engage and discuss that goes maybe above and beyond the core business that you do you know be it it or whatever it is right that's another interesting way to engage people all across you know a region that are virtual that that we're finding effective i think that's a great tip i i really like that actually because
0: it could lead to so many things and it doesn't even have to be work related necessarily. It could be a cause or it could be, you know, different things like that that are either allocated time during the workday or or outside of work. And, um, or they can be things that inspire to new, the new opportunities within and for the company as well. So that's that's totally, yeah. Great, great tip.
1: Yep. Good
0: stuff. So you know we're coming at the top of the hour here essentially, and I um, um, just had two more questions for you and the first one is we talked about a lot of you know what what has been done and some tips and what things people can um, implement. Uh, so last couple of questions are uh, one, what do you see ha- happening in the future, near term or long term and uh, and then the second question is, Um, if there's a particular either tool or or book or framework or resource that that you recommend to
1: people? Um, Yeah, so great questions. Let's start with, uh, you know, the, the tool or framework. I think one great tool that we leveraged early in the framework and the strategic planning was, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, um, that is a great book. It's a great read, great easy read, um, but it's something that as you read that book, you know, certain themes like trust come up Mm -hmm. really early, time and time again. And I think there's so much truth in that, in people trusting each other, organizations trusting each other. So that particular book can apply to all levels of the organization. Um, I really recommend that one, um, especially in this virtual mode that we're in because you're not seeing people as much. Right. And so there's a lot of zoom. Some of the relationships aren't forming the way they normally would. Um, so I think that's a very, that's one I recommend. Plus it's super entertaining. Um, and then as far as like where, where we're going and what we're doing. So we're definitely in that next phase of expansion and what we're doing is looking at things like going global for example right like moving beyond the united states and looking at other markets and that's really exciting um as well as maybe expansion into new uh capabilities you know beyond what you know the core that we're doing complementary uh, capabilities or maybe even uh, another industry vertical beyond like fintech for example Uh, so those are all like areas that we're evaluating and investigating going back to the earlier discussion on like, you know, taking risks and making investments, you know, so it's that whole exercise over and over and over again. Glad
0: to hear you, I'm excited for you guys, first of all, and I think it's good that you take that approach still and don't just forget about it and <laughs> die headlong without any, any rhyme or reason, you know, and, uh, and, um, that book um it's actually one i have not read so i am gonna go and read that one too it sounds wonderful very very good book to read uh so thanks for sharing that tip as well lastly what are how can people get in touch with either you or, or zenify
1: uh so you know the linkedin we're pretty active on linkedin and so i recommend that for individuals from you know a career standpoint investigating companies. Uh, it's a great way to interact with us, you know, following us there. Um, gl- you know, we're on, on all the main social media channels as well. You know, we're on Instagram, Facebook, but I say LinkedIn is probably our, our most active, you know, platform for dialogue and engagement. And then obviously we've got our website at Zenify.com with two ends. um, you know, and then there's some information on Glassdoor about us as well for those people really wanting to get you know, introspective from employees. is always another good way to learn about a company. You know, Um, there's what their website says and then there's what their people say, right? So good to get multiple data points. Um, But yeah, that's what I recommend. Great.
0: Well, everybody that's been listening or listening sometime in the future, we thank you for for tuning in and for uh, being part of the C-Level Perspective podcast hosted by Amazatic. My name is Chris Gilseth. I am the COO of Amazonic And uh, like, and, and today with, with us, we've had uh, Manuel Sandhu from uh, Zenify. He's the CEO and co-founder there. And we really appreciate the time that, that you've given to us today and for all the, the wisdom and insight that you have shared. Mm-hmm. And um, we look forward to, to kind of following and see where you guys are going, especially as you are expanding and, and where that takes you guys. So. Good luck with that. And uh, for anybody that wants to connect with us, you can reach us on our website, Amazonic.com, or in most social media. Uh, You can also find me on Clubhouse, where I host a a number of different rooms there or or moderate in some rooms there. So feel free to reach out and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode of C-Suite Perspective. If you would like to be a guest on our show, go to go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. That is G-O dot dot com forward slash apply. And don't forget to hit subscribe to C-Suite Perspective Systems and Processes and leave us a review. Feel free to also share it with your friends and colleagues through your favorite social media channels. And feel free to reach out and connect via social media or go to our website, amazatic.com. That is A-M-A-Z-A-T-I-C.com. My name is Chris, and I thank you for listening to C-Suite Perspective Systems and Processes.